0: Dear listeners, today you're listening to the 20th episode of the Inkwell podcast. Our guest for today is Philip Charter. Philip works as a writing coach. His main professional task is to help multilingual writers, such as myself, to achieve their writing authority and future-proof their careers. Today, we have discussed some important topics, such as what is writing authority and what are the main mistakes that multilingual writers make when communicating in English. If you are interested in writing and want to write better, I'm certain that you will enjoy our today's episode. Let's jump into it.
1: Hello, Philip. Hi there, Elias. Thanks for having me on the show. It's uh, good to be here.
0: How's the morning in the Canary Islands?
1: It's a beautiful day like uh always it's we're very focused on carnival at the moment so there was parties last night and there's more parties this week it's actually in the neighborhood it's being hosted in the neighborhood where i live so it's uh, very loud and there's a lot of people on the streets but um it's something that's kind of very treasured in the Canary Islands and uh, yeah i live in Las Palmas <coughs> de Gran Canaria which is i think I can't remember if it's if this one or if Tenerife has a bigger carnival, but it's the biggest in Spain. Anyway, it's most people on the street and the biggest uh, party.
0: Well, it's also happening here on Madeira. And uh, as well, I just had a lesson with a Portuguese student of mine. Uh, It's also happening in mainland Portugal. So it's, uh, it's a big event in the cultures of Iberian Peninsula, let's put it that way. Well, anyways, uh, Philip, I'm very, very happy that you joined in today. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to talk with you. Uh, I know that you're a writing coach, which is a very interesting profession. So could you tell me a little bit more about who you are
1: and what you do? Of course. Yeah, I'm Philip Schatter. I'm an author and a writing coach how that came about is, uh, I was a language teacher, I was an English language teacher, um, teaching English as a foreign language and lived in various places around the world. And also at that time started writing, I write fiction mostly. And then I put those two things together for, um, you know, there's two things that I love, which is languages and helping writers and people whose first language isn't English. And, Talking about writing and helping people to do it better. Nowadays, what I do is work with multilingual writers. So that means, again, yeah, writers who are professionals, they're copywriters, content writers, uh, maybe they have personal writing projects or they're communications professionals, uh, and they're using English professionally, but it's not their first language. And yeah, I run courses and a community and write lots of guides and tips uh, to help people so you
0: switched from being a business english teacher into being just generally a business teacher in terms of writing in a way of course uh, different clients come with different questions uh, but are most of your clients business people or also there's a variety of different type of uh, clients that you have
1: I suppose there's a variety. Sometimes I help people with creative writing and, you know, their own personal projects. I'm not so much of a book coach. That's another, you know, angle of uh, the literary world now is that there are book coaches and mentors that help people to get their book in shape and to to write it and to publish it. Uh, Yeah, I'm more helping, I mean, typically, like a typical client might be, let's say a copywriter from Brazil who's using Portuguese uh, at work but they're looking to get clients from the US um, so they uh, they have a good level of English and they they want to try and get clients from from the US because uh, they pay better or they're going to get better opportunities or maybe they're you know remote workers like content writers in Europe who, who write in English and um are yeah, looking to get hired, by a content agency or to, to write in house for a company. So I suppose, uh, yeah, they usually doing this for their professional goals, whether that's getting clients, getting a new job, getting a promotion or, or, uh, improving the quality of their work. So their editors or managers, um, are happier with it and don't have to correct it so much.
0: Got it. Got it. And I don't know which languages do you speak? Uh, You mentioned uh, Brazilian, uh, let's say, person. Uh, By any chance, do you speak Portuguese?
1: I don't speak Portuguese. I speak Spanish um, because I've lived in my time in Argentina and Mexico and and Spain. So I speak Spanish kind of upper intermediate level. And um, I've worked with a lot of Spanish and Portuguese speakers. So... I guess with Portuguese, I can understand a lot of yeah. what is being said, but I I don't use it. It just so happens that of late I've worked with so many Brazilians uh, and Portuguese people that I'm thinking I really should learn Portuguese because <laughs> it would just be nice to to have a chat in in that language too.
0: Well, being an upper intermediate. Uh speaker, I guess you definitely own this, understand most of Portuguese. Uh, but in a way, like for me being a teacher of Lithuanian and of English, I do have some students that are from Portugal and helping. It really helps me a lot uh, because I do understand why they make certain mistakes or why they want to say certain things in one way or the other. So like being multilingual yourself I guess it helps when you're working with certain clients because you understand where they're coming from. So let's say if you're working with Spanish people, you understand why they want to say it one way and not the other. So what do you think? Like, does learning, for example, Spanish help you with your work?
1: Definitely, uh, 100% for two reasons. The first is uh, I can understand and empathize with language learners. So, you know, if they're saying, oh, I finding," It difficult to motivate myself to learn new vocabulary or something. I'm like, well, I did too, but I did <laughs> by doing this, or what worked for me was 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 another thing. So I think it it helps um, just get on the same wavelength as language learners. I think with my clients, they're not they're not all so much actively learning English because they're often C1 plus. Uh, so they're looking to unlock like, oh God, I don't like that word unlock. Um, they're looking to <laughs> understand <laughs> that the difference in technical phrasing and sentence structure and things like that, you know, what's different about their first language in English. So like you said, does it, does knowing Spanish help me to understand why, uh, writers would want to phrase things in, in one way or another? Yes. And I think there's not so many people who are multilingual are, you know, experts in English and at writing and could help people understand things like rhythm and flow or, or, I mean, a a typical example is with romance language speakers, they generally use longer sentences because in their first languages, Italian, French, Portuguese, that's normal. You'll, You'll have five six clauses in a sentence yeah. <laughs> and in English that drives us crazy we're like oh we can't we can understand one thing per sentence pretty much so yes we want variety we want some difference in sentences but an example of how I how I would help a Spanish speaker uh, is to look at sentences that they've written which are too long and show them oh, what can we cut? Or what, how can we break this up so that the next time they're writing on that topic, they can think in English and think for an English reader um, so that their work is more natural-sounding in English um, rather than like a translation from a long sentence with lots of buts and ands and ors?
0: Well, it's actually quite interesting because... It really illustrates the point that you cannot separate a language from the culture and from the way of interacting and seeing the world. Because if you don't understand, um, let's say, how English speakers formulate their thoughts, like uh, shorting them up so it's clear. So I guess it's one of the most important things is to be clear. And then of course you add elegance, you add many different kind of things. But if from the very beginning it's unclear, most likely it's not going to be a good read. And it's very important, but I guess maybe in other cultures, maybe flowery language is uh, more important than clarity. For an English speaker, that's uh, most of the time, not the case and, uh, I understand what you have said, because in Lithuanian, when I write, we also can put many clauses in a sentence. You're and right. Sometimes we can also have like a sentence, which is like, I don't know, four lines or five lines, <laughs> but a lot of commas, because there's a general rule. I believe, it, by the way, this will be interesting from you as a writing coach, is it true or not? But this is how I think that in Lithuanian, the more commas you put, the better. <laughs> And they, in English, it's the other way around.
1: <laughs> is well, that true? More or less, yeah, more or less, I do, I'd agree. I, I, it's such a, an interesting topic. Going back to what you said about, like, you can't separate culture and language. That's a great point. And one of the things I love about my work is trying to help writers still sound like themselves and have a voice. You know, if you're from france then that's part of who you are and it's part of your culture and it's a real strength to have that it's not oh you're not american you're not british so you know you're not gonna you know be as good as those writers that's rubbish you're just different you know and that's a strength so i find that interesting i think that leads into you know say if a french speaker is writing these long flowing sentences with flowery language and that's the way that french is written and it's not quite so true in English. Um, yeah, you know, I guess my next point is a lot of the need for clarity and shorter sentences is because of the way that we read. Everyone is reading on a screen now, and we skim and scan and read very quickly. So that's why we need lots of formatting lots of white space and and shorter sentences but the problem with that is we get this advice which is just too simplistic like oh you have to be clear not clever or oh you have to use hemingway editor and make sure you get a very high readability score you know right for a a five-year-old and it's like that's um helpful at first because it's a good reminder to keep things clear and simple but if you're a professional writer and if you're looking at um being better than ai and getting hired by good companies or, or getting better opportunities you have to know when to use a longer sentence and you have to know which kind of flowery language to include to build your authority and to to set yourself out as an expert writer and get people paying attention to what you're saying. So, yeah, I think some of the advice out there is is a bit simplistic and yeah, of course it depends what you're writing as well. If you're writing a sure. very simple how to guide, you want, you know, you don't want any kind of uh, room for interpretation, but if you're writing an opinion blog, then, you know, it should uh, be varied and people should be reading it in a deeper way. So yeah, it's really interesting to try and help people develop, tread the line. I guess there's a line between like what is natural sounding and effective English, and what sounds like your real voice. And you know, there's no hard line. It's always a discussion, and like we work together to figure that out.
0: Good, and you also mentioned establishing authority. Uh, and also, when I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, uh, I read that one of the things that you do is actually you help writers establish their writing authority. Uh, what does this phrase mean to you? What is writing authority in, in your mind?
1: That's a great question. It's a bit of a buzzword, to be honest, because it's one of these terms which is uh, subjective. You know, what is authority? It's difficult to pin that down. And it it sounds quite good. So lots of people say it. I use it because I think it's, in a nutshell, it's like the value that people place in your words. If your writing has lots of errors in it, and it's not very interesting, and it's very low level, people don't respect you as a writer, you're unlikely to get these better opportunities of higher paying work or um, you know, better clients um, So yeah, I think authority comes from As well as your writing So say you've got a, a portfolio And you know, you've got some fantastic work in there That can build your authority But it also comes from your profile And um, you know, using social media or platforms Or getting readers, like building a readership, however you do that, whether it's a newsletter or yeah, uh, you know, on social media, I think that also builds authority. I mean, another thing you could say is uh, having a book, you know, as a as a fiction writer, if you have a book, people instantly understand that, like, oh, you've written a book, you've, you know, I should listen to what you say.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tricky term, authority, because it doesn't have a one meaning that everybody agrees upon uh, to me it's it's like where the people place value in what you say and there are many different things you need to do to, to ensure that's right the first of which is being accurate you know if you send a, a, a an application letter for a job and it's got a spelling mistake in the second word It doesn't matter if you're the best candidate ever, you're not getting the job because your authority is just gone. You lost it. So that's, yeah, one of the primary things um, is is being accurate. Well,
0: let's speak about this, but from a more simplistic uh, angle in a way, because I still work as an English tutor and I teach many professionals. And most of them also want to establish writing authority because they're looking for a better position or, uh, they want to change jobs and writing is important for them. And, uh, most of them are also higher level English speakers, so to say, but they, they come with different kinds of questions. And one of the question is uh, the difference between formal and informal English. Right. And, um, well, there are common for common things that people ought to know. Like, uh, don't use uh, "love," <laughs> comma your first name when you're handing a letter, right? Yes. But everyone knows that, you know. There are certain phrases that you ought to use, like um, "kind regards" or what have you, uh, "dear sir," "madam." That, that those are the basics. Also, like uh, contractions, right? Shouldn't use contracts You shouldn't use contractions in formal language. At least that's what we were taught uh, in school when we were learning that. But because you dive a little bit deeper in it than you know a regular lesson on formal and formal English that the teacher would give, are there any subtleties uh, besides like che- choosing the word get or receive, right? Uh, or is this distinction artificial? Um, or are they legitimate rules, like don't use contractions, select the right vocabulary? Um, let's say, use the right uh, greeting and the right closing? Or is it artificial or not? And are there things that even people, when they, they know these things, they still miss?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the problem goes back to the way English is taught. You know, grammar, well, not grammar books, but textbooks and school uh, teaching is is so out of touch with the reality that we live in of a global, globalized world where we're emailing people from different cultures. And that's why this question of formality has so many different angles to explore. So one is that, that what's most important is the reader and you communicating in a way which they can best understand. So an example might be, as a native speaker, especially in Britain, we prefer indirect language, right? If somebody says, hey, Phil, I want the documents today, send them. I think that's rude, like that's too direct. (laughs) But in other cultures, like in Dutch, they much prefer direct language. And if you write to someone saying, "Uh, if I could ask a question, would it be possible for you to send them by the end of the day? They might just write back and say, no, that's not possible. When in fact, you're asking them, you're sort of saying, I I need them, please send the documents. (laughs) So I think, yeah, that the way English is taught is like, oh, there's formal and informal, you know, there's the right way and the wrong way. And it's much more complex than that. So the the first point is, yes, it's about the reader and your understanding of, of culture. I mean, we're often in business, like communicating between continents as well. So there's the, you know, more European way of thinking. You might be writing to someone in China and being able to write in a way which gets the result you want. That's the most important thing, isn't whether you're, you know, using contractions or not. It's like, well, are you getting the result you want? Yeah, and I think the second aspect of formality is there are several levels of formality in English four or five, you could say. Um, so I suppose it's picking the elements from each, which you think the reader will will appreciate and will will best understand. In some contexts, I think we're moving more towards an informal, uh, approach like I receive a lot of messages from people looking for writing work or wanting to introduce themselves and they want to show respect and they come from a culture where it's very important to use formal language. But to me, I don't, oh dear, dear sir, I henceforth write to you to request the, it's like, that to me shows that somebody doesn't understand the way I work and operate and therefore they're not like an expert writer so it actually harms it can harm your your writing if you're too formal um, I, I think it's a good idea to to learn uh, some of the the reasons for formal language so yeah you'll write contractions and the word choice of how long a word is you know longer words are generally more technical or more formal um, Things like whether you use the passive voice, um, whether you use introductory phrases in a sentence, um, whether you use a more complex sentence structure. I think those are aspects which can make things more formal. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very important to learn about the culture that of the people you're writing to and all of these different aspects of formality.
0: So in a way, I think it's also very important to catch up with the everyday reality of what's happening now, because as you said, the way that these things are taught uh, in schools and so on, most of the
1: time are out of touch of reality, with reality, right? You've, you've nailed it. I, I, <laughs> I tear my hair out when I want to look in like, textbooks and they have, right to your basketball coach apologizing for you know not attending practice or something this it's all these fake writing tasks it's like nobody does that in the real world anymore why are you making someone write a formal letter to a basketball coach <laughs> you're all in a whatsapp group or you know you're going to see the next day it's just let's have real tasks let's make something like the reality of digital uh formats that we write in now is, is very different and um yeah, it's frustrating when i see things like that like yeah these very weirdly formal sort of complaining to the city council about you know the state of your park you know the kind of ielts writing tasks like <laughs> what is that nobody's doing that come on <laughs> <laughs> no you don't do that
0: um Actually, thank God, there's uh, quite a good website that I often use uh, when I teach. It's called ESL Brains. And most of the tasks that they provide uh, are quite up to date. And if they give you an exercise most of the time, maybe you're like writing as a member of customer support or something like that. And someone sends in a complaint and you want to respond to the complaint because There was a delay in shipping and the person hasn't received uh, their shipping. So it's more like what you would actually do, but definitely not write. I have never written to the city council. (laughs) Like What is the percentage of people that write to city council complaining about parks in the general population? I
1: I guess it it used to be higher. These writing tasks come from when it was a physical need to, to, sorry, a need to physically write uh, letters and and such. Um, but yeah, I, I like, uh, I know the site ESL brains and yeah, it's got real life, like authentic materials of Ted talks and, um, you know, articles which like come from, uh, the real world of they're not designed for, uh, ESL learners. So I like that because it's, it's, uh, we're, we're, uh, I'm not sure is it inductive or deductive, but we're, we're taking real examples and then get, getting the, pulling out the, the language from that rather than giving people a load of building blocks and letting them figure out what to do.
0: So in a way that's also what separates a modern teacher from a, I don't really like that distinction that much, but it helps to kind of think about it. Modern teacher versus traditional teacher, because what is traditional? Uh, traditional can be five years ago. <laughs> or it can be the 19th century, right? So it's a little bit vague. Uh, but how language is being taught in the nowadays world, where we have internet, when we're always wired, and so on, and how it was taught pre that, so, so to say. So there's definitely a difference. Uh, but you also mentioned social media, because uh, also what I have seen from your work, I, I also have seen that you... Uh, post, You have released a few books, which I would like to go into deeper a little bit uh, later in the podcast. Uh, but I also read and uh, looked through a couple of your articles on Medium and on LinkedIn. And these two platforms uh, really come about often because many people write on both. Um, I also transitioned to Substack not, not that long ago, uh, just because they have a separate um, section for podcasts. Uh, which I feel is lacking uh, on Medium. So on Medium, it's really fun to... And these are very different platforms. They're quite similar in some ways, but they serve a different purpose. So let's say when you write on Medium and when you write on LinkedIn, um, do you have different goals when you write on these different platforms? Because LinkedIn, most people are familiar with it. Most people don't understand it at all. They don't know... What LinkedIn is for and how to use it. It's like I, I I liked one phrasing that is like one of the near difference of other social media platforms that and that near difference is not really well understood by others. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's LinkedIn in some ways. And also Medium is a platform that mostly only writers that are also readers use. Yeah. So could, could you please talk a little bit about these two platforms and how do you, how do you use them? For what purposes do you use them? And uh, are they, do you write differently on them?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that. I think understanding the format or the context that you're writing in, like how to write effectively on Medium or effectively on, on LinkedIn, requires a lot of reading and analysis and trial and error. And there are so many different purposes you can have. I mean, dealing with medium first, your goal might be to make money, right? Because you can make money through publishing articles and being part of the partner program. So that's your goal. You might be publishing a large number of articles, just talking about popular topics, using more of a, uh, not clickbait, but, uh, attention grabbing style. And your goal is is to get people clapping for the article, writing comments and, and earning you money. That's not my goal on medium. I started publishing articles there to meet other writers um, I guess hoping that they may connect with other projects that I'm doing. Um, it's very good space for multilingual writers I should say because it's quite equitable like anyone can publish. But you can build your authority there. Let's say you you get published in a in one of the magazines or the publications with more readers. It's great to be able to say, "Hey, I had a, an article in Better Marketing or in the Writing Cooperative or some of the bigger publications." Uh, that's something you can put in your portfolio, and it helps you to um, to to show that other people value your work. Um, so that's another reason that that I write there is to be you know published in in these publications. And I guess the third reason is, uh, to have, it's nicely formatted and it's all regular on medium, you know, the way that the the blogs look. Um, so it's a, it's just place to host my articles. I mean, I use them for my courses as well. People can read about how to Uh, use good writing structure or you know about formality like we were talking about earlier so they can uh, find you know my articles there and and that can be part of uh, reading resources for for my courses or community yeah so uh, why do I write on medium I guess um, it was slightly easier than hosting everything on on my own website, on my blog, it's it's interactive, and yeah, you can meet other writers. But yeah, you're right. I think it's mostly writers on Medium, so it's it's quite insular. Um, if you want to to reach, you know, a larger number of readers, and you're writing on health or on, um, you know, cryptocurrency or something, then it's probably better to um, try and reach those those readers elsewhere.
0: And what about LinkedIn? Because uh, I think you really nailed it when you said that it's quite hard to reach people that are outside uh, of Mm -hmm. the profession that you're actually in. So, of course, (laughs) being a writer doesn't mean that you're only interested in writing. Uh, You know, you're still a human being, (laughs) so you might have your other interests. Uh, let's see, you still you can still be interested in sports, you can still be interested in medicine or whatever. Uh, but but still, it's like a very particular audience there, which I really enjoy. Uh, like I, I really had a good time writing on Medium because uh, it feels like you're kind of, uh, Either you found your tribe or you're finding your tribe because you interact with people, they comment, you know that they're also writers. So you go read their articles and you comment, and then you talk and then you go on podcasts and it's a lot of fun. So that, that is true. Uh, and also you get, uh, it's not that hard to get visibility. So it, it doesn't take you forever to get your first comment on your article. You know, it's uh, Of course, it depends on how well you write, and how interesting your topics are and the magic of the algorithm. But no. uh, <laughs> but still, it's possible to get some interaction, which is always more fun than just writing on your own blog and then not, not seeing any... Maybe people are reading, you know, we can check the statistics that there are views, but you don't get any feedback, which is... So I, I feel like it's a very good mix of... Um, like having your blog, but also type of social media like blog. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, but what about LinkedIn? Because most people when they think about LinkedIn, they don't think about a place to write articles, they think about maybe a place to look for jobs, or places to connect with people to whom I want to write a message. Uh, but some people use it as a place to post articles and they do it on a regular basis, like Veronica, which, uh, uh, I had interviewed a few times and also Antonello, Fabio, likewise. So, so, so how do you see LinkedIn in this regards, uh, as a writer, not just like as a regular user?
1: You know, just touching on what you said about, about medium and, and it's true for LinkedIn as well. It's like the world of writing has changed you can't just publish something and expect readers to come to you. You have to go to where the readers are and the readers are on platforms where they're getting a lot of value like medium or LinkedIn. So that's why, um, yeah, primarily it's good to, to publish on on platforms like that because you can find your audience there and they can find you as opposed to just having a blog and hoping that people magically find this blog. I mean, that doesn't, it's too much content online now. Um, Why are people on LinkedIn for their own means and to uh, get things? I think anyone's lying if they say, oh, I'd go on LinkedIn because it's fun. I just love hanging out there. (laughs) I mean, primarily it's like a content marketing platform now. so the general idea is that people write um, useful and interesting posts and articles. I mean, it's not so much articles there. It tends to be posts and, you know, slideshows and uh, even videos. But things which are useful and interesting to their network. Uh, And you can build that network yourself. You know, LinkedIn is, is more now like a, a networking site than just post your profile and get a job. Um, it, it has changed in that way. And yeah, there's still very few people, very few of the users as uh, a billion users or so, and only 3% of them, I think are, are publishing posts and writing. Uh, so there's still very few people producing content, but yeah, the reason people are doing that is to take Their people in their network to the next stage of possibly working with them again. I think it's an utter lie. People say, Oh, I just write because you know I want to help people. You want to help yourself, everybody does. Everyone wants more money and you know, better job, better life. You do get a really great feeling from helping people. I mean, I publish sort of posts and tips about writing and English. And it's wonderful to get messages where people say, oh, you're really helping. Like, thank you for, for, for publishing all this. And very few of the people that, that do read your work will ever pay you or work with you. Um, but yeah, essentially the idea is you you publish enough useful and valuable things for free. People trust you. People, um, want to work with you in some way and they, they, investigate that and maybe visit your website or get in touch or join a course that you're that you're doing um so it's it's a way to uh, build a a client base and that's why it's so popular with with freelancers uh, with entrepreneurs solo business people and just one word on on that for, for any writers out there that are listening and, and either wanting to get started on LinkedIn or are using LinkedIn already, one of the big mistakes I see is writing for peers. So Mm -hmm. my clients are writers and I'm writing for them, right? I'm, I'm writing things which are useful for professional writers who want to use English, but those same writers often say, oh, here's five tips for, you know, using great power words in copywriting your audience don't care about that your audience are business b2b businesses uh you know founders ceos of of startups whatever they don't care about copywriting they want the results so you need to write for your audience as well as the people who are going to like and comment on your posts it's all well and good getting lots of comments and a great feeling for for giving your mates and other writers tips, but that's not helping your goal, which is, you know, that that goal usually of getting a job or getting more clients or getting more authority and and respect from from people. So yeah, uh, write for your audience is the tip.
0: Also, Philip, I know you have a podcast and um, it's quite similar. There's an interesting connection between having a podcast and writing on blogs. It's because you have uh, long articles and also long episodes and you have shorter posts and you have shorts as videos. So even though they are different mediums, they also have these commonalities, so to say, and uh, whenever I create a video, which is long format like this one, I also create shorter videos. So people might get interested in the full video. Maybe there's something that I really liked and I want to just uh, put it outside of the podcast and so on. But with some pl- platforms, I feel comfortable doing that. Like uh, posting shorts on Instagram, on t- TikTok, even on Facebook Reels or YouTube shorts feels supernatural. Posting shorts on LinkedIn <laughs> feels awkward. And every time I do it, I think, am I doing the right thing? Is this weird? So, so being a writer and a podcast host, what do you think about that? Uh,
1: I I mean, I've only started doing more shorts, you know, these vertical video formats where it's, you know, a minute long, like you said, things like YouTube and, and Instagram, I've only started doing that recently. Is it awkward on LinkedIn? I think there's a lot of blowback and a lot of um, criticism of of uh, people going a bit too hard for authority. You know, all the short videos on LinkedIn can be a bit cringe because it's yeah, hey bro, listen to my podcast. Like people <laughs> waving their hands around, like you need to do this and. <laughs> Um, it's interesting what you say though. Like, does short do shorts work on LinkedIn? Um, I, th- I don't see why not. I think people are more likely to to watch a sixty second clip and to get interested in a topic. A video is a good way to allow people to hear you to speak and to see you. Um, I suppose they they have a things like YouTube Shorts and TikTok has a an algorithm which is designed for the short form video. So maybe they're more yeah, successful on sure. those platforms.
0: Because I was just thinking about the culture of LinkedIn in and it of itself, because it's more of this, I would say, again, the, the form, the word formal kind of suits uh, what I want to say, but also not. But it's definitely, definitely the level of formality is different than posting on even Facebook. So the language that people use, they're more professional people there. It's not only your grandma and your cousins and, you know, your school buddies and so on. It's more where people come to meet uh, clients and also want to maybe check what the CEO of a company is doing, you know, maybe connect with him or her. It's a different environment. And I was just thinking whether these kind of short form videos actually fits that environment, because that's why I feel awkward. It feels like uh, maybe the community doesn't really want that. That's why they didn't create a separate, you know, like shorts um, category like there's on Facebook. So, so maybe it doesn't suit the purpose, but this is just like, I went on a, on a tangent, it's not our topic, was just really curious from another podcast host, his thoughts,
1: but. um, Just, just, uh, picking up. Yeah. on what you said about it, it feels like people don't want that. I think shorts are probably quite successful on LinkedIn. Um, if it's a well-produced. Very short video. Many people will will watch it. I think it's about being different as well. Everyone on LinkedIn writing these boring formal posts of like, "Oh, we are delighted to announce." Uh, I'm thrilled and humbled to have worked at this company. It's safe. They don't want blowback of being told, "Oh, you, you're." Acting in a way which is different from everyone else, but in fact, that's what gets the attention—is being different. You know, the the most, uh, the, the biggest creators or influencers on LinkedIn are often very colourful characters who who uh, push the boundaries just enough to to be very different and and get that attention. Uh, so I don't know. I'd say go for it. Why not post shorts on on LinkedIn? <laughs>
0: Yeah, then gather data, see see how people react, and maybe change your plan accordingly if it's necessary. So you always have to uh, j- just see what, as you said, uh, I really liked when you were speaking about the formal letters and it's not applying or not applying the rules. It's the results that you get in this regards. Like, uh, does the other person understand you? What you want to say? Do you get the right feedback? Well. Do you get what you want basically? And if the other person is happy and you're happy, it's uh, good communication. That's, that's what's, what matters in some regards.
1: That's that's a good point. And where you write matters a lot. If you're writing one-to-one an email, then you got to make sure that person's understanding you in the way that you intend. If you're writing in the, in the, in the abyss of a, of social media, you know, this huge feed (laughs) of infinite posts what's your goal if it's just to virtue signal and say i want everybody at my company to know that i have publicly praised them write that boring stuff right oh i'm delighted to announce a new client that signed with but if you want to actually get attention or new people viewing your business or what you're saying uh people assigning more value to what you say you have to be different you have to stand if there's 10 posts in the feed and they will say i'm happy to announce you're not going to read any of them because it's all the same if you read one that says like you know last night uh a i had a fight with a 500 pound gorilla people are like oh wow that's different why that's you know it doesn't fit in to it's not business like is it but as long as it's not over the line of of writing about very insensitive topics or something which is just outright stupid and not relevant, then it's great. Like, go for difference, not the same.
0: Right. And you also have mentioned that you have a writing community. So it's not like you just help private clients uh, who want to upskill themselves. Uh, It's also a community that you hold and uh, could you speak a little bit more about it? Uh, who this community is for and, well, what it is for?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, it's something I started last year and I've, I've run some networking groups and, you know, with the, with the idea of helping a larger number of people um, in a way that doesn't require like one-on-one time because if I had coaching calls with everyone, I've only got a certain number of hours. Um, so, yeah, I designed a community. I guess it's a a more common practice now in business is to get a larger number of people to pay a small amount per month, per year, whatever it is, for a service where they can all hang out together and learn from each other. Um, right. So, yeah, in my, my community, there's a uh, – if you sign up, you get sort of – mini courses and lots of resources to help you with your writing. We have live calls where people can ask me questions and ask each other questions. We have uh, workshops where I give, um, talk about a particular writing topic, like uh, using show, don't tell was a recent one or writing for social media. Um, but yeah, I guess the main thing is, is like the forum. So it's a big forum where Uh, people can share their work ask questions uh, learn things you know I post lots of tips on there and it's really getting bigger than just me talking to lots of people the idea is they're talking to each other and they're learning from each other Mm -hmm. so a lot of the writers in my group now have you know connected with each other on social media or they're emailing each other saying oh can you look at this work and I'll look at your work and they're really helping each other improve and getting perspectives from people in different countries different continents it's becoming something yeah much bigger than just me giving advice to, to a larger number of people so I'm really excited about where it's going and as it grows, we'll have more expert workshops and you know, more features and, and uh, more courses and, and things where all the people participating can can feel part of this uh, journey that we're taking together and can really benefit.
0: Well, that's interesting because not that long ago, I've joined one of... Uh one community, which is in a way similar, but I will want to know how similar it is because how similar is it? Um, So because I live in Portugal, I started learning Portuguese a year ago when I relocated here. And uh, from very early on, one of my first online teachers recommended me a podcast, uh, which was called Portuguese with Leo. Very good quality, intermediate level podcast, For a beginner, it's, uh, intense, but over time it pays dividends. So it definitely is a good, uh, podcast to listen. And, um, I was listening to it. I was improving. I was reading the transcripts and translating. Um, I I enjoyed the guy's uh, speech, the pronunciation, everything was going well. And then I reached the point where I understood that I have listened and read everything that I can. And then I found his Patreon, of course where mm-hmm. there's more content because that's how things work nowadays, which yep. I really like. Sure. You give free stuff. If, if people want more, they pay a little and they get more stuff. And uh, so I did that. I became his Patreon. And I noticed that he also has a feature, which is also Discord community. Like you get access to a Discord community. I was like, oh, I thought Discords are for either gamers for moms that wanna talk one to another in private (laughs) and sometimes for for teaching because it actually is a good platform to do that. But I haven't been using um, Discord much. So I thought, okay, I'll try it out. I went in and I realized like, whoa, there's so many things here. There's the forum. There's also separate channel for video calls. There's like, it's such an interesting environment And I felt like it's quite good for community building. So he's using Discord to do that. And it's very easy to join. Like uh, I was not a user of Discord. I just pressed join, an app, uh, a window opens, something like I signed up, I'm in, and I'm I'm part of the community. Um, Do you also use Discord as your community building tool or do you use some other tool? In other words, how can people me for example how can i uh, become part of your community
1: yeah so um i haven't used discord i don't know that much about it but i, I have heard it's good for, it's a an option for building a community at the moment my sort of forum is a facebook group so that may mm-hmm. be a bit old-fashioned and not everybody loves facebook but one of the benefits of that is people are already checking their facebook and then things from the community pop up so you get a lot more interaction and chat um which mm-hmm. is one benefit of it i will probably be moving my community to uh, uh my own platform so i have a a sort of platform that i use for for email marketing and you know to keep contacts and things like that and that has a a community feature that is rolling out at the moment um so i'll probably move things there because it will be great for people to be able to like instantly access courses and not go to a different page. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's lots of options. I think, you know, there's mighty networks and, uh, yeah, there's other options too. So I guess cool. discord and Facebook and things like that, are something that most people know how to use and can find it out easily. One difficulty of you know, if I were to use something like Slack or, or Mighty Networks, you're going to lose people who say, oh, it's something new I have to learn. Yeah, so yeah How does sure. it work? And I couldn't figure it out. So, yeah, I think uh, there's, there's plenty of options. Um But no, I haven't investigated Discord. But, I mean, it's great that you're a part of this community. And I think hopefully you're more motivated to learn, right? Because you're chipping in some money so you've got some kind of accountability to to get value for paying that and you find all these people who who motivate you to to learn along with them so i i have a community sorry yeah i have a community not not just to make money and say oh hey you know pay me it's because i believe in it i'm a member of many writing communities and it's been so helpful to me and it's so motivating i live in a place where there's not I can't really join a writing group here. So, uh, you know, I'm in several communities online. And um, that's why I thought it can, it can work for any profession, really, any skill.
0: Well, uh, I know that's, uh, well, first things first, I'll definitely join your Facebook group. I want to check it out. And it would be interesting to become part of the community as well. So that's right off the bat. And secondly, what I wanted to say is that uh, I know that soon you'll be arriving to Madeira and we do have one little writing group here. Uh, I was part of it for a while. Nowadays, just the timing doesn't really work because um, I have my private classes when they have their meetings yeah. and it's just a writing circle where people come and you know they have creative writing exercises or something like that. And uh, it's like a very liberal circle there's one guy that most of the time leads the group, but sometimes he's just like, ah, I don't want to do it next week. So who wants to lead the circle next week? So someone says, okay, okay, I'll do it. And uh, it's it's fun. So uh, once you're here, uh, I could send you the contacts of uh, Michael. He's uh, an American boy. And uh, I, I think he, he would really be delighted if no, a new person would uh, just come to meet, you know? Uh, because- Yeah, for sure. This, these island dwellers, you know, there's not many of us, and uh, it's good just to know uh, because it, you being in the canaries uh, feels closer to me than people who are in Europe while I'm yes. living in Madeira. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> it's that commonality. People have you know moved to to uh, experience the island lifestyle and you know better weather. Maybe uh, yeah, it would be great to meet this group, and uh, I'll be doing some book promo in uh in in madeira for the bitcoin anthology books i edited and and put together and yeah i'm sure we can meet up and uh i'll be doing an event for that i think i don't know where or when, but uh that's cool i'm you you'll probably hear about it if you're in the the same networks and forums as uh many of the the expats in in madeira
0: so few things here uh one question is do you see a tendency of let's say people who are joining your courses uh, becoming your clients joining the group that they want to somehow change their lifestyle in any kind of way because there are more and more remote workers people want to be independent in terms of location and uh you know After COVID, many things have changed. Some things change for the worst and some changed for the better. Like this part, I believe is definitely what has changed for the better. Like uh, not being scared of online services and trusting uh, online services more than before. So people have become much more comfortable with that. Uh, So that's the first question. And the second question is about your books. So you have mentioned a Bitcoin ontology. Uh, could you later also please speak a little bit more about that? Because that's a topic that raises a lot of questions. It caught my interest, Bitcoin ontology. Yet I understood that I have, whenever I hear this phrase, I have no idea what's, if I would open the book, I would have no idea what I could find there. So it's, it's a very mysterious, uh, phrase. So, so, maybe we can actually begin with that and then let's speak about uh, the lifestyle
1: thing. I mean, Bitcoin feels like a slightly dangerous topic, like, you know, veganism or something like that, where if you start talking about it, it puts a lot of people off because there are many uh, divisive or like negative stories or um, thoughts about uh, it. In terms of uh, Bitcoin itself, I would say. Uh, it's a good idea for people to learn about it. There's no pressure to do anything. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm an advocate for it. Let's buy it. In fact, all this came about because uh, Nico and the, the the publisher uh, who, who lives in Madeira as well, actually, uh, was a client and uh, we worked on his writing. Uh, and I started to, to learn about Bitcoin and after Uh, A while, I suggested this idea of uh, marrying the idea of stories with Bitcoin. I mean, the reason Bitcoin is a bit scary is it's very technical. It's uh, often people don't feel uh, connected to it in any way because it's very conceptual and and mathematical and difficult to understand what it actually is and does. So what people need is stories. And yeah, the idea is uh, that we sourced lots of stories and people wrote uh, just uh, stories about the future, about um, yeah, sort of uh, sci-fi and dystopias and uh, just human interest stories which is set in a world or a universe where the financial system is different or where people use Bitcoin instead of um, other currencies. So it's been a pretty great project to be a part of and we'll be continuing it um but yeah i suppose it all came about through writing actually and um trying to put together a, a very technical world you know with a lot of there's a lot of podcasts on on bitcoin and explainers but there's not so much entertainment and um uh, engagement through that so I, I think that's how it came about and um that's the, the book I'll be promoting in Madeira.
0: Cool. So when we think about Bitcoin in general, and when you think about stories, as you said, it's a very technical thing. And I have noticed that many technical things lack the ability of being translated into stories. So take, for example, quantum mechanics, right? Uh, I remember my teacher of astronomy because I had an astronomy course in Lithuania while I was studying anthropology, which might be odd, but bear with me. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we kind of uh, built, we we had built a good relationship and uh, he gave me a book, uh, which was like an introduction to quantum mechanics, just because he liked me and I liked him. So he said like, "Hey, hey, check this out. It might be interesting for you. And it attempted to translate quantum mechanics into um, layman's terms, but it failed terribly. Like uh, you had to have at least like still a university level, a bachelor level of understanding of mathematics to even get through the introduction. Like you already, you open an introduction and you get a formula. (laughs) You know, that's not super user-friendly if you're not a mathematician, but you would like to learn something about quantum mechanics. So I feel like that might be a similar situation that people might have when they think about cryptocurrency. They start listening to something, they're like, whoa, I have to have way more knowledge to listen to this person speaking before I even attempt to. So it it feels like it's uh, also one of the power of clear, direct, simple and understandable storytelling uh, to explain difficult, complex and not super mundane things. So being able to translate uh, very difficult matters into something that a layman or a person who has nothing to do with it Uh, might understand so so I think that's great Uh, I'm eager to actually check it out and uh, was it difficult to do that because as you said it's a technical thing and you had to kind of I wouldn't say water it down and definitely not stupefy it you had to maintain the same essence but to make it more approachable Uh, was it very hard to do or was it actually something that you had a lot of fun with and it didn't require that much thought? Maybe I'm overthinking this point.
1: Well, you know, as an anthology, we got um, submissions from lots of different writers and there are 21 stories in the book or 22, I think. So they present a, a variety of stories and realities. It just... Uh, going back to to stories in general and like explaining these con these difficult concepts, people nowadays need to know why they should care, why they should learn things, and stories are, are like a an emotional hack. We we only care about ourselves and about people and about things that relate to our existence. So, if you talk about astronomy. Why the hell should you learn you know how to track the trajectory of some star that's millions of years away? But if we say, you know, I imagine you know in future generations we may be traveling there or you know we may get contact with with aliens, that's somehow relating um, this complex mathematics and physics to our existence, which is what we care about. So I think that's why stories are important. Uh, as for, If it was difficult, I think a lot of the stories in the book take the approach of like a what if. So they're not technical explanations of Bitcoin. And it's more just like what kind of world could exist if this were the case? Or, you know, if we could travel in space, how would this situation work? So the idea of how they get people interested is just like, A lot of the writers had this big idea that had been knocking about in their brains for 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 a long time like an example is the first story in the book is called the last mugging and it's about how in the future if everybody can uh, publicly view uh, all all financial traction transactions on a on a ledger a public ledger well there's no way that you could be mugged right if if somebody (laughs) is stealing your money you send them the money, and then the police catches the guy in in forty five minutes because he's, you know, buying a a drink at a, a liquor store or something, and uh, he's just been caught. It's a kind of funny concept. It's a it's a what if, you know, what if muggings and that physical violence to to extract money from people didn't happen, couldn't happen. Well, that's a concept that's interesting enough to be like, oh wow, that's that's got me thinking. You know, is that is that possible and um could that be a consequence of this changing world see so yeah, there's a lot of kind of what if stories and uh things to pique people's interest uh there's loads of great concepts in the book that yeah i think even if you're not a technical person you can get a lot of uh, enjoyment from
0: and i think this is going to be more and more important in the future because the well we can argue that change has been here all the time because it has, and you know, you get the printing press, you get uh, the internet, now we have AI, and uh, things are like uh, always becoming different from how they were, but uh, the speed of that change might increase. Uh, And when even we look at the financial market and the tools being used in the financial market nowadays, even take Bitcoin as an example, Um, it might reach a point where it will be super difficult to understand for a regular human being, even for a person that is in this area, like an expert of what actually is happening. Because uh, there's this uh, historian, Yuval Harari, he's the writer of Sapiens, I think. And uh, I I listened to one of his podcasts on the diary of CEO about uh, AI and how complicated things are getting and how complicated it might get, uh, in his predicament, at least. So I think like being able to first keep track of it and tell stories about it so it doesn't get that far away from us that we cannot understand it anymore, like to kind of... Keep bringing it down to earth, so to say. It's like um, that. That's the power that you have as a storyteller, as a writer, uh, as a communicator. So it feels like uh, most likely writing and writing well is one of the best skills that you can develop.
1: And writing stories specifically, because that's something which makes us human, and you know. stories are the way that we process our reality so it's going to be increasingly important to be able to tell and understand and interact through stories in all all their different forms so that's why there's such a big trend of hey let's do storytelling and let's create these stories but yeah it's going to be increasingly important Totally agree
0: so if we could leave our listeners with one idea or let's say one suggestion Uh, Let's imagine that our listeners are all storytellers because they are, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a writer or not, you're still a storyteller. You tell millions of stories every day. Okay. Maybe that's a little bit blown, (laughs) blown out, not million, but you still tell many stories throughout your day-to-day life. And some of these stories just happen to be in written form, right? So if you would like to become a better writer a.k.a. a better storyteller, uh, what one tip could you leave our listeners with? Like something that they could do to, I wouldn't say make their stories better, uh, but uh, maybe more impactful, if we could use this term in this situation?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I think understanding story is, is quite difficult when writers start off they try to think about the the technical things or want to write something beautiful it takes a long time to write powerful stories I think that's why often famous authors are, are often older because they've spent a lot of time crafting that so I'm not sure I can boil it down into one tip but I mean read great stories, analyse them and try to study the craft of um, storytelling or creating stories I think if you if you're using English and that's not your first language you also have to work on that as well because you know stories in English are quite different and they require different language and different skills to in other um, first languages so True. I don't know if I can come up with one tip but get better at writing Very stories good. however you do that <laughs>
0: because uh, it's a very good example when you said that most of the people who create great stories tend to be older because they researched them for a lot a long time um, my girlfriend and I have been reading Frank Herbert's dune and it's a great book and like as far as we got into the book it might be at least for my girlfriend I'm not yet certain one of the best pieces of science fiction that she has ever read which tops Harry Potter and you know Lord of the Rings all the the great uh, uh, the, the the great stories there and uh, she researched Frank and uh, watched a couple of interviews with him and so on and it really it's really visible how much research he had to do to create the world of dune because he studied uh, the life in the desert very very thoroughly and uh, what happens uh, in deserts how animals behave what is on in the layers beneath the sand the right. whole ecosystem he really really went deep also thinking about all the you know people like Ben with their telegenetic powers and so on he researched like monks and ayahuasca and you know like many many st- so so much has gone into creating that story that you understand that you cannot really top that person <laughs> yeah without doing yeah. The, the amount of research that he has done
1: yeah i guess that's where the adage right what you know comes from if you know something so deeply whether you've experienced it or, or researched it a lot if you know something really deeply, you can present that in its most accurate and boiled down form and readers get that sense of like, this is exactly what I expect or I'm exactly there and there's more to this than the author is saying. Yeah. I think yeah. that's that's a, a key thing. So yeah, be be an expert about the stories you tell as well, whether that's what you've experienced or what you've researched
0: so as we said in the beginning of our conversation you cannot really separate um writing from or language from culture and you cannot really also separate writing good content from reading good content (laughs) so you cannot just be a writer and not be a reader or maybe not a reader per se but You must be interested in what you're writing, in what you are writing about, because you cannot just create tons of content when you're not interested in, because it's going to be shallow, it's going to be terrible. You won't, even you would not like to read that. So why do you think that
1: the other people might? There's a parallel between language learning and and writing. You know, people often say things like, I wish I could speak Portuguese, and then people who are actually going to learn Portuguese say, I want to learn Portuguese because they understand the the work that's necessary. And they're interested in taking the steps to, to get there. And the same thing happens with writing. Like, Oh, I, I, I want to write a novel. It's like, but you want to have the book and imagine it top of the Amazon charts. But do you want to read, uh, hundreds of books do all the research like go through years of learning the craft and you know all the the difficult staring at a blank page and getting bad feedback and do you want to go through all of that because if you do that's great like you're a writer but if you don't then you're just some um, person that wants to hold their own book because of their own ego so I think it's a go parallel with with languages so, sure. i mean that's that's my thought is yeah if you do want that book or if you do want that uh, job or respect as a writer then you have to to go through all of those learning stages and like thinking long term is a is a must
0: and thank god there's a lot of good content that might help us do that
1: and of course there's
0: philip so you know <laughs> like if you're on this journey uh you i, I believe you might be a very worthwhile i i'm sorry to uh objectify you calling your resource but <laughs> your knowledge <laughs> uh, the 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 skills that you have gathered could definitely help uh, a lot of people y- even me included because i'm you know i'm a hobbyist i'm not a writer per se and uh, i just like to write for fun writing diaries writing blog posts but who knows who knows in the future i might want to take it up to another level uh, so it it depends like because my career is also very closely knit with writing, and uh, most likely it's a tool that I will have to develop and develop and develop over time. So it was really really interesting for me to have a conversation with you. It was it was great picking your brain, and uh, I do hope that we will have uh, a second go. Uh, maybe in the future, because we covered some topics, we didn't touch upon some other topics. But is there something that is in your mind that was left unsaid and you would like to voice it out uh, before we say goodbye? Uh,
1: I think you did ask, when at one point you asked me two questions and we got on to talking about Bitcoin. Um, the, The first question was something about whether people want to better their lives or take advantage of like remote work and yes. i guess the answer is yes i think people there's a big disparity in wealth in the world and unfortunately some people are born into situations and in countries where they're less likely to get opportunities and to to be able to build wealth and have a, a good career now that's that's changing and that's great. And I think, um, I try to help Yeah, many of the people who seek my help come from countries which are not top economies and they want to get the the benefits of having clients in the U S or getting a remote job um, somewhere else. Um, and that's wonderful. I just, I think my advice would be to think long-term there's a lot of people out there who are saying, Oh, buy my course and you'll get you know ten thousand dollars instantly, or how to crack up work and you know get loads of of money straight away. That's all fake. That's to get your money. That's well. <laughs> because that's their business plan. <laughs> if it were possible, you know, to grow your channel on YouTube to ten thousand subscribers in in a week, everyone would be doing it, or people, more people would be doing it. Well, good, good.
0: Thanks a lot. Thanks for, for all the tips. It, it was a great pleasure. Uh, and, uh, I think this is not where our conversation will end. Uh, just the first go will stop.
1: You will be welcome on, uh, the trouble with writing podcast anytime and, uh, hope to, to meet you in person too, when I make my way to your island.
0: Definitely. Definitely. We will arrange on that and, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for all the listeners who have been listening, and uh, if there's a second uh, round, or maybe there's, maybe I will go on Philip's podcast. I will add all the links in the description to update uh, what what has happened, what will happen in the future. So great. So so Philip, thank you. Thanks a lot. Till next time.
1: See you later, Paulius. Thanks very much.